Welcome one and welcome all. Today we are talking tunes with... Gorsha. Hello. How are you, mate? I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I cannot grumble. Good stuff, good stuff. So we're talking tunes today. Uh, we've got uh, about 15 odd tunes here. Uh, I was going through the list of them and some fantastic names in this one. I really like them. Uh, and then some others absolutely don't know it. So when I was putting this together as a track, man, you got some fucking excellent tunes in here, right? I try my best, try my best. I, oh, it was so hard to whittle it down. I, I must have had 65 tracks I wanted to use. Uh, I eventually got it down to these 20. Are we doing 20? Yeah, I think I think we got away with 20 because they're all so short, right? I think a lot are really short, yeah. Really short. And there's a great Doug Kennedy song, you know? I like short songs. Have you ever heard that one? I have, I have. Yeah, of course. I like short songs. Great song. <laughs> I mean, definitely. Anal Cunt and Pig Destroyer have it completely correct. Just short as possible. Get it done with. You know, that's how it should be. Brilliant. Absolutely. So starting out with this interesting one from Microfist uh, Thursday's Shit Show. Uh, what can you tell me about this one? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's sort of like band sort of music. Ben's a good boy, but like he's got his head up his own ass and he knows that. Uh, so I, I chose this song to subtly undermine his confidence in his actual house music, which I love. I love everything Ben does, to be honest. But this is like basically I'm trying to imply that he's best when he's trying to rip off the fall and he has ripped them off wonderfully here. Uh, I, no, I just love this song. It's fucking good. It's nice to have it just chucked on a, a house album. You know what I mean? Like, just out of nowhere. Yeah. No, I think it's really good. It's really good. Uh, it, it shows it shows a, a range of skills, right? But I suppose if that's not what you want to showcase, you want to showcase that actually he makes this music better than what he's known for, right? Well, no, I, I only meant that as a joke. Like, I mean, he's good at everything he does. Like, you know, we've we've done a bunch of tracks together, most of which people will probably never hear because we're lazy and we don't ever actually properly finish anything. But like, yeah, he's, he's one of the few people where I feel comfortable working with them. And, and it's because I, I think it's taste. You know what I mean? Like this song shows uh, a level of taste that I line up with or whatever. I'm not saying it's a correct or incorrect taste. But yeah. And then straight into another one, Golden Boy. And this is a new one to me, Golden Boy. What can you tell me about Golden Boy? Oh, okay. So I, I played a show in Canada two or three years ago. It's hard to tell with COVID. Time is just an illusion. But um, yeah, this, this kid, Golden Boy, was there. He's from, I think he's from California. And I'd never heard him before and he played and it was just like, this kid is like 19 or, or was 19 or 18 at the time. And there's this whole group of like kids on the West Coast of America that are uh, 15 years younger than me. And they're doing this like really classic 90s inspired rave shit. And it's just like, it's super inspiring. You know, it's, it's weird. I don't usually feel like I can, uh, you know, mentally line up with many people. And these kids are like 15 years younger than me. I could literally be one of their dads. And and they're, and they're doing exactly, they're influenced by the same, same shit I was. And I, I find that really cool, you know, like, but yeah, the whole 90s racing, I mean, you, you'd think it was a bunch of people that were around at the time. And they weren't, you know, these people never experienced the rave scene, but I mean, they don't even have a modern rave scene over there, you know, in America, it's so sporadic, but yeah, these kids are doing this 90s inspired shit. And it's just like, I don't know, this golden boy to me is one of my favorites of them. You know, definitely. There's someone else in this list that's not from America. That's also much younger. Who's doing the same kind of thing. And uh, I'll talk about that when they come up, but yeah i'm just really digging this kind of weird underground scene that's just stuck in the past a past they were never even a part of you know it's cool I, yeah i think what's cool as well is when you get to a certain age you know you see a lot of people dropping off out the rave scene you're thinking oh, eventually it'll weather up and, and and disappear but then when you see new blood coming in at the other end um bringing it in it's like yeah great hardcore will never die right Right, exactly. It's like, you know, it's it, breakcore and, and rave and all that. I mean, obviously rave was pretty popular in the UK, but like this this stuff was never like a mainstream. Yet it's managed to be around for fucking ages. You know, I mean, like you look at the early breakcore stuff of the late, late 90s, mid late 90s kind of thing. And that's still going. 
you know, and it hasn't like weakened. It's just not burst into some kind of mainstream thing. But I, I really appreciate that staying power of it. You know, same with same with rave music. You know, there are still people from the '90s who carry on doing it, and yeah, I just I really appreciate that staying power. You know, it's cool. So let's hit you up with a big question. Gorshit, where'd you get that name from? It's, <laughs> it's a brilliant name, right? Well, we started as a two-piece black metal band as a joke, and my friend came up with the name just because he said there wasn't really anything more metal than that. Um, and then, for some reason, we made the first Gorsha EP. So, yeah. Life for our heroes can return to normal, at least until the next black cloud appears on the horizon. Wow, so like, yeah, we're flying through these ones, right? So we're now we're on Hitori Tori. How you pronouncing this one? That's what I always do. I always do the Hitori Tori, that's the easy bit. What's the name of this track? I'll put it on you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure only he knows. Giddy-giddy-giddy-giddy-do? Giddy-giddy-giddy-do? Giddy-giddy-do? Something like that. Well, you know the guy well, right? Because you just put out a release with him. Yeah, yeah, we just put out a vinyl. Um... I really like his side. Obviously, my side, I can't comment on that. I'll leave that for others. <laughs> I, I don't know. But um, yeah, no, nah, Jules, Jules is a, he's a beast. I love him. Um, I love playing shows with him. I love making music with him. Um, I love watching him play. I just, yeah. yeah, I love just hanging out with him as a person too. You know, is um, the, the whole Hitori Tori thing is like, nearly everyone knows of him. I mean, like, um, I think, on the description of our record on the Bandcamp page, it says, your favorite breakcore producer's favorite breakcore producer. And I agree with that, you know, like, Hitori Tori is still like pretty unknown for someone that's been doing this since the 90s. But um, the thing that I think the thing that immediately grabbed me about him is it's like all my favorite bits of Aphex Twin, but improved without all the filler. You know, like I, li I like FX Twin. I'm not saying that it's uh, that there's loads of crap. It's just there's a bunch of stuff that I'm not really interested in. And then there's these really like total banger bits. You know, like on Drucks, there's like just some solid bangers. I think Hitori Tori is like an amplified version of that. Just you know, and, and it's, it's it's a time where I really appreciate not repetition because the songs aren't the same. But he's got a very consistent style, and I like that. You know, I'm 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 on board with that. I'm happy to just leave it playing, and yeah, I think I think he's fucking wicked. Yeah, he's got a certain complexity to it, uh, IDM style. Um, right, for sure. Yeah, as you say, lots of changes and lots of lots of things going on, right? And uh, but but still bringing it into a certain style that you listen to someone and go, that's the Tori Tori. Right, exactly. It's recognizable, and yeah, I I just have always liked it, and I think I always will. And it just would have been criminal not to put a track in by him, in my opinion. You got some uh, interesting stuff, like I say. We'll come to it later on, right? But you got some bits which are like, because the thing with the thing with this IDM sort of stuff is it's not very danceable, in my mind anyway. When I'm on the dance floor, I can't really dance to this. But you got some, you got some sort of danceable IDMs coming on later on, and then you also drift into punk a bit as well. So you know, even though a lot of the tunes on this one they all sound quite different, you've got a common theme there, haven't you? Of chaos. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, the thing that I think the reason Breakcore appealed to me is uh, when I first heard it, I was in a, a math rock band, like in the early 2000s. And uh, if I remember correctly, I accidentally saw Venetian Snares play in Oxford. And that was my introduction to Breakcore. Obviously, I'd heard Rave and stuff. I grew up with Rave. But um, the f that was the first time I heard Breakcore. And, and I think it really appealed to me because of... Well, I really loved math rock stuff because it was wonky and all over the place. And I also really loved grindcore. So it was almost like a combining of those two things, but within, with, you know, in an electronic arena. Uh, yeah, I really dug that, really dug that. How does one accidentally go and see Venetian Snares? <laughs> oh, right. So I, if, I, if I remember correctly, it was a long time ago, we were supposed to be playing that venue the next day and ne none of us drove. So our drummer's parents drove our stuff there. 
and he was playing that night, if I remember correctly. Were you a fan of snares at the time? I, I guess not, because you would have been like... Oh. No, I'd never heard of it. Never heard of it. Yeah, but uh, our guitarist was. Now, I'm not going to talk through this one, although probably I'm going to talk through this one. But Little Kevo 303 right now is one of my favourite artists. Oh, really? Oh, that's wicked. I love this guy. Yeah, he does... Every, although, again, he's like... Distinct sound. That sort of uh, Game Boy-y or, you know... Right. Chip, it's not chip tune, but, you know, it's like computer games... And all that sort of stuff, weird sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know what you know exactly what you mean. Uh, not not meaning to uh, plug, but more a point of interest. Uh, me and Kevo have a collaboration coming out on vinyl reasonably soon. Oh wow! Well, that's well worth plugging, man. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear that when it comes out. It's all finished. We just, um, you know, it's it will be printed when it's printed kind of thing fantastic well I hear the way at the moment is going six months to get vinyl pressed yeah it's um, luckily I'm not doing any of the business side of shit I don't mm. I, I don't like that kind of thing I just get other people to do that for me <laughs> it's too much hard work yeah and this one's called Monkey Simulator 187 and I like the way you know I love it when people put the, the, the BPM on the title that makes life easy doesn't it he told me that uh, he does that for himself because when he's playing live, it's just easy. And then he figured, why rename it for the album? <laughs> Fair enough, you know. Because you're playing live and you're at 220, you're not going to play something that's 160, right? Right, right. Unless, well, unless you want to freak people out, I suppose. And before we know it, we're into someone else, right? Yukozo Koshiro. Yuzo Koshiro. This is ancient. This is from 1992, and it is from the Streets of Rage soundtrack for the Sega Mega Drive. Well, it's from the Streets of Rage 2 soundtrack. But um, yeah, so this is all using the Yamaha built-in sound chip that the Mega Drive had. And I guess I chose this one. I struggled to like choose one video game song that really represented like how good video game music can be as just music of itself. You know, like this album. You know, it's it's been released since the game came out on vinyl as an album. You know, and it's it was only programmed to be game music, but it's like really fucking good electronic music. You know, and apparently the story for the guys making this was they were told they were making this like. Uh, futuristic, almost cyberpunk uh, beat-em-up game and that they wanted a kind of modern electronic soundtrack. So they just sent these two game developers to nightclubs in Japan to listen to music and then come back to the studio and try and program it on the Mega Drive. And this is what they ended up with, which is like infinitely, in my opinion, more advanced and complicated than most of the stuff that they referenced. You know, it's like yeah, it's it's mad to think this is made on a, a 16-bit machine with like, how, I think the Mega Drive had four megahertz or six megahertz. You know, it's fucking impressive. You know, that'd probably be run in something like Tracker. You know, I would guess. You can get the Tracker files for anyone. Uh, you know, anywhere online now. But um, yeah, it's it's just mad to think that it was literally programmed mostly in assembly language back then. Like that blows my mind. Like no trackers, just literally programming. I used to I used to write assembly language. Six years commercial experience. Which one? Sixty-eight K. Uh, we did various different things. Um, it was multi-platform, so we did all sorts from ARM. Damn. Uh, and what have you? Real, real nerdy for computers, mate. But hey. No, that's good. That's involved shit. Fucking yeah. Yeah, no, it's assembly language, man. Fucking hell, yeah. It's all day just to write the simplest fucking shit. Oh, for sure. I started doing it for uh, Amiga because uh, basic just isn't enough to make a video game, you know. So. Yeah, it's 68,000 Motorola chip. Exactly. With its complicated instruction set. But it, it covers so many bases. You know, you can do Mega Drive stuff, you can do Amiga, all kinds of things. Anyway, let's not talk assembly language. Let's talk about this next track, which, again, I've got no idea how you pronounce it. Agascodo Televeric. Bodega Party. I can do that one, right? Bodega Bay. Bodega Bay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I can't even read off the page properly. <laughs> Do you, do you know Japanese or something? Or are you just very good at pronouncing Japanese stuff? No, no, not at all. I, I just, I heard this band like 
20 years ago now, I think, or 17 years ago, well, a long time ago anyway, I, I saw them supporting Lightning Bolt in London. They, they were the first band on, and it was just two guys wearing 1960s football shorts and, and really tight women's Iron Maiden t-shirts. And um, they just had like a laptop playing these weird kind of breakcore beats playing uh, two guitars over the top and I it just I loved it everyone I was with hated it they thought it was dog shit but I thought this is fucking great and um, they, they did two albums they did this album called I think it's just called Agus Codo Televeric and um, it's mostly drum machines and and stuff like that and then the guitars all processed and it's got loads of guest vocalists it's got uh, BR Wallers from Country Teasers which is one of my favourite bands and who else is on this one Max Tundra if you know Max Tundra I don't know any of these people oh man Max Tundra is fucking great it's uh, it's hard to explain what it is but you should check it out so yeah so I saw this band and, and it, it blew my mind um, even though everyone around me hated One of the things I think is interesting in breakcore is people say it's a lot of just noise, uh, and I always draw a parallel between that and mm-hmm. visual art in the, you know, back in the 16th century, they would have painted a picture of a cow in a field, whereas Jackson Pollock now just throws paint on a canvas, and someone will say, well, that's just, you know, that's <laughs> right. the art, right? But that's, to me, what breakcore is, right? Yeah. And I'm sure people who like Jackson Pollock are like, oh, my God, they're heathen. How can you say it's just paint on a canvas? <laughs> I, I completely get what you mean. You know, it's, it's funny, the last Bang Face I was at, actually, it might have been the one before, but Napalm Death played, and they were saying how weird it was that they were playing an electronic festival, but then he, he, he just said, but it's all noise, isn't it? And I just, yeah, it is. It's all, everything's just noise, you know? Like, the same people that like fucking ambient soundscape shit say that other things are just noise. When ambient soundscape stuff is objectively just noise, you know, it's not notes and stuff like that, it's it's noise. And that's not a problem to them, but it's a problem when it's in a different context. And I think it all comes down to taste. But then people kind of misinterpret taste for objective opinion. You know, which is which is dumb. You know. So, Bangface 2018 was when uh, Napalm Death played, and that notably yourself. Oh, did I? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> oh, did I? Can you, are you telling me you haven't got a poster on your wall that says Napalm Death, and you, when your friends come and go, look, that's me on a poster with Napalm Death? No, my my wife has all that stuff. Like she she actually has framed posters of every gig I've ever done and got a poster for. Um, she has all the T-shirts that I've been on for festivals. She has every record I've done, and she keeps them in like a special gorset archive box. But I don't have any of that stuff. My my studio walls are just video game posters. Nothing to do with me. I, I have a terrible fear of ego. It's slightly skewed you know vision of, of what ego is but <laughs> yeah if i've learned anything in the last few years it's to try and distance yourself from your ego right but it's just a, a scary concept you know if you had rose tinted glasses about everything you did you'd never improve you'd never try new things you'd, you'd be like i'm the fucking best and then you just stay that way and and as soon as someone says you're shit or your numbers go down or whatever or people don't book you for gigs you're like oh my god what happened right Right, right, exactly. I, I like everything. Everything I do with Gorsha is, in fact, everything I do with everything musical is very much a just kind of see what happens kind of thing. It's always been that way. You know, I never cared if I had listeners. I never cared if I made money. I never cared if I got gigs. And then you get those things, and you're like, oh, that's nice. You know, it's like a it's like a bonus you never expected. And you can't really get disappointed that way. And I like it that way. But it's easy to say when you've got 21,000 followers on Spotify and 15,000 on SoundCloud, right? Right. I don't understand these numbers, man. I I don't actually have accounts for any streaming services. I didn't put my stuff on, on Spotify either. My friends did that for me. So I, I'm sure those numbers are good, but it's not something I really understand. You know what I mean? It's good. It, it was a good number. It's, it, but yeah, like you say, I, I, I fully agree with the idea that you can't value yourself in terms of numbers. Right. Um, it could it, it's the erection of mental health, right? 
Oh, sorry, we should probably say that that last track was Mad Capsule Markets. <laughs> it was a bit too noisy for me, that one. And oh, that's Devo fair on. enough. Like, Devo, when I put Devo on it, I'm like, oh man, this is a beautiful tune. I love Devo. It's a good choice. Yeah. But anyway, what, what are we going to say about Mad Capsule Markets, anyway? Oh, um, I don't know what I was going to say about them. That's fine. Let's talk about Devo, because they're here now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, classic lads with flower pots on their head, right? Oh, for sure. You know, spuds. Spuds, total spuds. But I think, I don't know, I chose Devo, and it's kind of a cliche, but they were the first thing I heard that made me say, I like synthesizers. You know, I, I was into punk and stuff when I was like nine, 10, 11 years old. And then I heard the first Devo record. Actually, I heard a track on Beavis and Butthead. I just, Beavis and Butthead is probably why I, I like a lot of the music I like now. Melvins, Revolting Cocks, Butthole Surfers, you know, it was all stuff that I heard on Beavis and Butthead first. And Devo was one of those, and it just, punk with synthesizers, it was the first time I heard it, and I thought, I like synthesizers. And before that, I'd never even really considered them. Yeah, this bit here is real, sort of like aliens are invading sort of stuff, innit? So good. It's this song's so heavy as well for the time. Like this this one I think they originally did this song in the mid seventies. And it's it's brutal. You know, like I know it's not like super distorted and the drums aren't super boomy or whatever, but it's it's a heavy, evil sounding song. You know, and it, to me it's like super ahead of its time. I mean all of Devo, that's the whole point. They were well ahead of their time, in my opinion. And I guess you picked them as well because I think Devo just did what they wanted to do without trying to fit into any sort of right. formula, right? Didn't they? They were just mad as mad as hatters, like. And they carried on going until recently, you know. It's like they only stopped because too many of them died. You know? <laughs> and um, but yeah, Devo was always. I mean, they weren't even a music project when they started. They were an art project. The music was just part of the art. So the fact they became a band is kind of funny, you know, like they were just a college art project. And you can kind of tell, I suppose. Because like, have you ever listened to Primus? Oh, I love Primus. Like to me, Primus is just, they've just copied off what Devo done. Huh. I, I, that's not something I've heard, but that's an interesting, I'm going to, I'm going to have to listen to some Primus and hear it now. Well, what's this one now? I put these ones together, right? Because again, it's sort of the same sort of vibe. This is Yowie, absurdly ineffective. Barricade. Barricade? Yep. <laughs> Where on earth do you get these titles from? These are the weirdest <laughs> tunes I've ever fucking heard, mate. I think when you don't really have many lyrics, the song title just kind of can be whatever the fuck it needs to be, right? You know, it's just like anything because it doesn't need to reference anything. But yeah, Yowie is a band I've been listening to for maybe 20 years or so. This is the last album they did, which was maybe four or five years ago. When I heard it, it's like, it's really wonky and shit, which is exactly what I wanted. Wonky, all over the place, atonal, frantic shit. But it's danceable. Like, that's kind of odd. You know, it's not something... It's not a line that many people manage to kind of tread over very well. You know, this kind of super wonky, but also with a kind of groove, not a normal groove. You know, there's no 4-4 or anything. There's no real set time signature at all, but it, but it's got like a bouncy, dancey feel to it. And no, I really, I really like that. It's not something you hear loads with kind of mathy, quote unquote, music. Yeah, this is something I've never heard of. I've never heard this band before, but yeah, I really like in this. The guitar work in it, as you say, it's it's left and right, ups and down. and it's, it's the personification of nuts, which is exactly what I wanted, you know? Like, um, yeah, this this band is, I've always, the old albums, the, the, old, the first two albums are a progression on mid-60s Captain Beefheart kind of thing. But um, I feel like this takes it a level beyond it. It's just like, I mean, it's, it's it's almost got metal qualities to it. The distortion is quite distorted on it. I like that change up. I like that change up there as well, where it's just like, it's still the same song, but it's just gone turned left and gone in a different direction. It's beautiful. And the, the transitions are something that are done, like instead of just being like, here's one wonky thing, here's another wonky thing, they all lean into each other, which is super hard to do with, with music like this. And I think they've done a fucking amazing job of making a, what is it, like a six minute, five, six minute long track into like a constant flow, but with no re real repeating parts. You know, it's like one bit, next bit, next bit, next bit. I, I really like that.
how would you feel if someone said it's almost like the same structure as jazz? Yeah, I can see that. Do you ever listen to jazz? Well, um, I, I do, I do. I can hear that, you know, and... Jazz is good, but there's just not enough good jazz. That's the problem, though. Right. It's. It, I think it's the same thing with a lot of things. There's kind of a sea of shit you have to you have to wade through before you get to like the gems, you know. Because there there are people who do things for for the sake of it. Like um, with jazz, there are people who do wonky, you know, atonal shit for the sake of it, and then there are people who do it like uh, intuitively, kind of thing. And I think it's the same with this kind of music. This kind of like. I don't know what you want to call it, math rock, noise rock, whatever. I don't know, but like it's the same kind of thing. There are there are lots of bands doing this kind of thing who set out and say, right, right, guys, let's write in eleven four or some shit like that. And and I think that's contrived and limiting. You know, they're trying to be unlimiting by using weird time signatures and shit, but they end up just limiting themselves, and it ends up sounding really contrived and and rigid. And this just doesn't have that. You know, you can tell that it's just like, oh, this sounds cool. Let's let's play this, and then oh, this one sounds cool. Let's see if we can make that flow into that one. And yeah, because I love wonky music. I just don't like when it's like contrived and meticulously planned, and the kind of spontaneity is like sucked out of it. You know. There's a band called Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. I don't know if you know them. I've heard I've heard them. Yeah. Albums and albums and albums and stuff. But there's one track they made. You should go and check it out. And it's called it's called Jazz Delicious Hot Disgusting Cold. And what they did was they had some spare studio time and they wanted to make a jazz track. So they all swapped each other's instruments around. They didn't have any plan for what they were doing and they just went for it. And as you say, that was the least contrived thing, you know, and it's just like free flow. And it's, a, a, it's an amazing track. Just go and check it out, man. I will. That's exactly why I really like um, the kind of 70s no wave shit that was coming out in America, like bands like DNA and James Chance and stuff like that. And even Sonic Youth to an extent, like they couldn't really play, you know, but like, and it worked wonderfully because they couldn't play. So I put all this sort of stuff together in the middle, sort of guitar music is what I'm roughly characterizing this as, right? Yeah. Well, I, I chose this one because it's like, sure, it's got band music, but it's like processed to fuck, you know, like this bit, like, you know, drum glitches and like weird stops where synths come in and vocal, vocal chopping and stuff like that. This band actually did some stuff for Cartoon Network. <laughs> um, that's, that's how I found out about them. Again, it's got all the things that I really like. It's got wonky kind of choppy structures and processing that wouldn't usually be done on normal instruments. There's a, there's a lot of cool, weird shit from Japan, but this is one of the earliest ones I found out about, I suppose. Quick name check then. So this is Plus Tech Squeezebox, choose called Fake. That's right. Plus Tech Squeezebox, yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, there's another Japanese band called Cornelius, which do a similar thing. But this is just kind of a more frantic, almost breakcore version. You know, in fact, they, they have a lot of songs with Eamon Breaks and stuff in. And at the time, that probably would have been the first time, oh, one of the early times that I heard that kind of thing. You know, Eamon Breaks all chopped up really fast and stuff like that. Same with, like I said, about Agus Kodo, Televeric, and um, not really known about breakcore until around that time I accidentally saw Venetia Snares and yeah this was one of those bands where I was hearing bits of breakcore but not really noticing it you know I didn't really know what that meant or what that was I still like it now because of that you know so I'm going to drag you back to an earlier point where you said that if you have a track and it hasn't got any vocal in it you can name it pretty much whatever you want when it comes to your own stuff how do you name it oh most of my stuff is just named based on something that happens while I'm making it. So like, um, I'll open a project and start something and I'll have to give it a name. So it will just be related to whatever's happening at that moment in time. So most of my names don't mean shit. It'll be because of something that's on a TV or a video game I just played or a synthesizer I used or some shit like that, you know? That's good strategy, yeah, good strategy. 
I think uh, Apex is a bit trying to push push the envelope a little bit with his old A B C X Y Z B F J. It's like what version seven. It's like what you're tricking no one with that naming pattern, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I also just take um, vowels out of things. That works. Or consonants, depending on how I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah, that works as well. Yeah. All right, next tune, Dazzling Killmen, Medicine Me. Okay, so I chose this one. I know it doesn't really have anything to do with electronic music in any way whatsoever, but it, this is my all-time favorite band at the minute. Um, has been for, like, since I found out about them about five years ago. It's like, um, everyone everyone remembers in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was the start of that kind of emo math rock noise rock thing and everyone remembers bands like slint and don caballero and things like that but i'd never heard of this band dazzling Killmen, and i i heard them i don't even remember how just some random youtube video i think and i've loved it ever since and i think a large part of that i don't usually care about lyrics but all the lyrics in dazzling Killmen songs are monologues from the perspective of fucked up people this song's about a guy in a hospital that needs to be medicated you know and it's and it's it's from his perspective and they have another song my favorite song by them i didn't put it in here because it's really long which is called blown face down and it's uh a monologue from the perspective of a bank robber just before a sniper shoots him in the head <laughs> so, yeah i don't know i just something i really like about this band there's an honesty to it I know that sounds cliche and lame, but there's like an honesty to the music that I really like. You know, when you can tell someone's really into it and they've written it because they feel it, and then you can tell someone's written it because they think it should, they think it sounds good or whatever. It's a, it's a very natural sounding band to me. And they're my favorite band, so I just had to put it in. that we're done and we're into buy to learning to fish so i only heard this guy last year i think this was the first track i heard uh, so it would have been late last year i heard it and it, it blew me away like it's it's so well done i mean i'm not someone who can say whether something is technically good or bad when it comes to producing music you know I, I, it's not an area i'm interested in i like making songs i don't care about production value and stuff but this sounded like super clean and but but it hasn't sucked out the energy of it it's still got like a really fucking intense sound to it i don't know but yeah it's it's like um the thing that really got me into this guy was it's this really nice merging of that early 90s rave sound with the stabs and the pads and stuff but merged with like newer shit like footwork and kind of breakcore stuff loads of weird processing atonal note choices there's so many bits of this song that aren't just four to the floor as well you know and some of it doesn't even end on an actual beat you know it ends like halfway through a beat like this bit right here like it's I, well, it's so good so good it's like wonky and natural with it like I was saying about other stuff it has to sound natural and this does to me what is atonal no choice that that's not something I've ever heard of before oh uh, just um, you know like if you hear like most pop songs you can hear like one chord is supposed to go after the other because that's that's how it is that it flows it sounds right you know that scale must be stuck to blah 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 i've always hated that and that's one thing i've always loved about like electronic music yeah when i heard acid stuff in the early 90s those acid lines didn't follow any kind of scale or structure they were just like almost randomly punched in and i, I always really like that it's the same reason i like a lot of math rock stuff and a lot of breakcore stuff is because it doesn't follow what I consider to be kind of boring, conventional. That sounds nice. Scales, you know, like scales you expect to hear. Yeah, that's what I meant by that. Yeah, I don't know a lot about music theory. Well, I just pick it up as I go, you know, so uh, it's always interesting to hear new bits. 
Oh, I'm the same. I, I mean, I, I play guitar, make electronic music, play drums. I can't read music. I play all these instruments, but I don't know how to write down what I'm playing. I don't know the names of the notes. I don't know the names of the chords. You know, I, I don't care about that shit. That helps a lot of people. You know, people I know that make music and don't know music theory tend to make really interesting music because they don't have an idea of how it should be, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like watching like YouTube videos that explain some of this, uh, especially with pop music. I mean, I don't like pop music particularly, but I like it when they go, oh, you know, this catchy tune. The reason it's catchy is because it does this, this and this. And then on the fourth, it does that. And you're like, ah, that's interesting. You know, I was watching something similar recently about it was some of the bigger names in drum and bass. I'm not a big drum and bass fan, so I wouldn't be able to say who it was. I've forgotten the names, but they were talking about the formulas they follow mostly in anticipation of DJing the tracks live. So they, they follow these really rigid structures and, and don't veer away from them because that's how you make quote unquote kind of club worthy music. So it was, it was really interesting seeing this kind of, I don't know, having the life sucked out of music. You know, like, we've got this algorithm and this design and we're going to follow it because that's what makes money. You know, it kind of really sucked any idea of creativity out of it for me. And, and hey, shit, no, you know, some people want to do it as a job and make money, and that's fine. But I tend to find that the people that choose to do that are constantly chasing over what people are into. But people are fickle, man. People are fucking fickle. So give it, like, give it a couple of years. They're not going to be into that anymore. I mean, remember when everyone was trying to do dubstep to, to make money? And who gives a fuck about dubstep now? No one. No one cares about dubstep. You know, and like grime as well. I mean, I suppose grime people are still listening to it a little bit, but like... People are always chasing what's popular now and they should be chasing what's popular in the future. That, that was another reason I chose this guy is it's got so many of the trappings of like Raga Tech and Raga stuff, which I hate. I hate reggae. Yeah, I despise it. I'm, I'm Jamaican, but I hate reggae. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, he, he uses so many like trappings of that and I like it. I like it the way he does it. He's got like Raga Tech vocals and I'm like, yep, cool, wicked. And he's got that kind of classic Bristol sound bass going on. Bristol sound. <laughs> I love that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's a vibe to Bristol. The whole ragar thing. It, Bristol is on that, and so I kind of call it the Bristol sound now. <laughs> yeah, that's probably quite insulting to some people. Sorry. I'm not in Bristol. If you're not in Bristol, we're all right, mate. Yeah. Well, no, I live in Barnsley now, so I can't really comment. <laughs> but um. Yeah, yeah, but this guy using using stuff I wouldn't usually like, but I love it the way he uses it. It's a bit like, you know, when someone makes you a vegetarian pie and you eat it, you go, that was lovely. <laughs> it was vegetarian, really, was it? All right. Right, exactly, exactly. I like that. When you're, like, kind of forced to reevaluate something you said you would not put up with. Uh, uh, no, that's, I'll cut that out because I'll offend all the vegetarians or the vegans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we'll offend the people of Bristol and leave it alone. <laughs> I was going to say, everyone in Bristol is a vegan, right? <laughs> so. model right discovery ship we've gone back to the 70s or 80s this song's actually um late 90s but the band started in the mid 70s everything they've done has been like a step forward like they were doing shit like the other people would do later despite the fact no one knows this band like no one knows p model they're, they're massive in japan and they especially in the 80s and the 70s you know everyone knows devo and this was kind of the japanese devo in a way some of their stuff where it was like really computer heavy processing and stuff like that was done before devo even attempted any of that stuff like um if you watch kind of mid 80s live videos you can see amigas on stage and apparently the amiga was impossible to get in japan so the fact that they hunted down these weird computers to make music with is 
brilliant you know it's like in fact even this late 90s stuff most of it apparently is done with amigas which is close to my heart because i love amigas i always have and i still make music sequencing with amigas this this band is just the discography is so vast and so varied i don't know there's everything is original as fuck even if it sounds like something that's existed since it was before it you know like they've never as far as i can hear on their albums never really ripped something off I envy this band. Like I envy the songwriting of this band. There's there's synth lines I wish I'd written. There's acid lines I wish I'd written. There's drum beats I wish I'd written. Yeah, you know, this this is if 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 I could get rid of a band from history and steal what they've done, it would be this band. I mean, I've I've sampled this band to death and I've probably paid them I don't even know how much in royalties, but you know, like it's worth it. I love sampling this band because there's so much in there that I can't do that I wish I could. Uh, it's uh, yeah, I just I love the way they they use electronic instruments in this. It's so good. Do you think at some point the Amiga 500 will attain the same legendary status as the TP303, or is it there already? Well, it, I was going to say it's getting to a point now where uh, working with Amigas is becoming impossible. I mean, I'm lucky that I've still got mine from years and years ago. My main one's an Amiga 12,000, which is... Oh, showing off an Amiga 12,000. Go on, carry on, though. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's accelerated to fuck, and it's got, like, hard drives and all kinds of modifications and stuff. And I must have paid 100 quid in total. Really? Well, yeah, because it's, like, 15, 20 years ago. But if, if you want that machine now, that'll cost you a grand, and that is a piss take. It's not worth that much money. Wow. It's a 16-bit fucking ancient machine, you know? It's, it's not worth that much money i would replace it if i had to i think it's getting to that status of the 303 now where people like see it as an essential sound kind of capturing device of a certain era kind of thing so there you go amiga owners lock up your amigas and don't let them uh, collect dust holy shit yes they're getting so expensive it's ridiculous yeah because uh, an a1200 back in the day would have been well expensive like to have a hard drive would have been right you'd been living like a king with a hard drive right for sure i remember my friend's brother bought one brand new at the time and we were so jealous because I, I had an atari st compared to the amiga it, it felt crap you know <laughs> like i'd play on my atari and then i'd go to his i go to my friend's house and play his brother's 1200 and just be so jealous i got a hard drive it's 20 megabytes <laughs> it was a 20 meg hard drive it was a 20 meg hard drive <laughs> <laughs> so good. Man, you couldn't even record this. Uh, you couldn't even record this podcast and stick it on there. Like, it would, it would get the first 20 minutes of this podcast, you know? <laughs> so good. Man, I love that shit. I see you've got a, an absolute room full of synthesizers and electronics and God knows what. Like, um, tell me a bit about that. For years, I used uh, Ableton. Um, that was the first thing I got in 2005. And, um, I used that for ages until I completely ditched Windows and then I moved to Bitwig. I think that was 2015 or something. So, but it's a very similar thing. You know, it's like the same screens. And I just got to this point a few years back where I was tired of those screens. I was really uninspired and and I was, I was looking at them and just nothing was happening. On the way to Bangface, I bought a Korg M1 and then I bought some other little things and, and I bought a sampler and I had my Amigas already. And then I made a whole album just using hardware and Amiga. Uh, that was called AP1. And that came out two or three years ago. Um, and since then, basically most of my music is done without computers now. Yeah, it was, it was just a way to do something different. And then it kind of became my preference, I suppose. I've tried to keep it like semi-sensible. Everything I've bought has been cheap by the standards of how much synthesizers cost, if you get what I mean. Like the samplers I use, I have three of them, but they are Akai S2000s. So they're considered the like the less desirable samplers of the Akai samplers. But like they cost me like 50 bucks each. They work exactly the same as the other ones, except they don't have fancy screens and stuff like that. And my Korg M1 only cost me a hundred bucks. I wouldn't buy one now for the price they are now. The Korg MS2000, again, was super cheap when I bought it. It was like 300 bucks. So everything I have is cheap, but it, it does what I want it to, you know? It's like I wanted a, a sequencer so I could ditch the Amiga 
and just use um, just use hardware. And I looked at things like the Yamaha RRS 7000, which is what CFAX Acid Crew uses. And I looked at the MPCs because everyone's got an MPC, right? And then I saw the Yamaha QY700, which does pretty much the same thing. In fact, that's the one Square Pusher used on most of his stuff. Uh, but it costs like half the price. I think I got it from Japan, including shipping for 200 bucks. So even though there's quite a bit of stuff, it's, it's all budget. But I'm happy with it. I'm not an analog purist. I'm happy to use digital shit. I don't care about that kind of thing. If something sounds cool, I like it. Yeah, I just wanted a different way of doing things. PTP, show me your spine. Where are we? What are we doing? Surely you've heard this one. No. Oh, man. Okay. You've seen Robocop. Yeah. Right? The club scene in Robocop. My memory for Robocop from 20 odd years ago. Oh, okay. See, I, I'm, I'm biased because it's my favorite film of all time. Yeah, so I saw Robocop in 93, 94. The club scene came on and this music came on and I had never heard heavy electronic music like this. Like I'd heard like early rave stuff because my mum was involved in that kind of thing. Uh, but like this was the first heavy industrial electronic music I heard. And it sounded so futuristic to me. This, this song came out in like 87 and then was in Robocop in 88 or 87, whenever the fuck it was. And in 93, 94, this just sounded like the future to me. This was the future of music in my head. I must have rewound that VHS like a million times just to watch that one minute club scene over and over again to listen to this song. And um, I never actually got the song until years later. And I, I saw it on vinyl in a charity shop and I was like, holy shit, I gotta get this. But yeah, it was it was like my introduction to heavy electronic music, I think. You you as a teenager rewinding the video, watching it again and again when most kids are rewinding and watching other bits of video <laughs> for other reasons. Yeah, but my mum was into the kind of rave club scene in the early 90s and she was really young so I ended up apparently going to a bunch of these things so I don't remember that but I remember hearing tapes you know like around the house like jungle tapes and um, and house tapes and rave tapes and stuff like that and uh, and then I heard this and this really got me into like ministry and stuff like that so around the same time I got into punk and, and things like that I would have been about nine and that was the same kind of time I got into bands like Ministry and um, uh, because of Napalm Death, Scorn and Godflesh and things like that. So I think that was probably the first electronic music I was really into, like industrial stuff. And into, yeah, and then I suppose over that time until I heard Venetian Snares, it was just random bits of electronic music I was hearing. Like the stuff I said earlier, like Agas Kodo Televeric, it's like that was one of the early times I heard breakbeats used in a kind of breakcore way, you know. So from that to another extreme, sadistic execution, black mass murder. That's a heavy title, isn't it, man? <laughs> Holy shit, man, this band is the best. It's like, the, you know, I chose this one because I was listening to another podcast you did and someone put the Berserker on there and it was my favorite Berserker song. But I want to say I like that, that kind of mix of metal and electronic stuff, but not Berserker, you know, because that's already been done. So so I chose this band. It's just like, it's not, it's not even... Uh, I don't even know how to explain it. It kind of reminds me of Speedcore or Extratone or some shit. It's like just frantic, constant. It's everything I love about electronic music and everything I love about metal music put together. And it's a perfect example of something someone would just call noise. You know, like it is kind of hard to discern what each part is doing. I don't know. It's ah, oh, it just feels good listening to it, you know. But this band is from Australia, and they started in the mid '80s or some shit. There's there's one thing I really love about the Australian music scene, and you see it in the breakcore, you see it in the metal. They do not take themselves seriously, like this whole sadistic with a K execution with a K thing. And all of the songs have names like Black Mass Mass Murder and things like that. And all the lyrics, I mean, most of the lyrics are just him yelling we are death fuck you you are cunts it's all just like yelling at the listener calling them a cunt and i love it i just i love that it's not serious i love that it's frantic and distorted and horrible 
I don't know. It's just brilliant. The stuff coming out of Australia, it's as serious as their spiders and snakes, isn't it? <laughs> It's like, we're not fucking around, it's like, full on, this thing's gonna kill you. <laughs> All or nothing. <laughs> yeah. But with clear disregard for, for sensibility, you know. And I love that. I mean, there's, there's so many good breakcore people from Australia as well. Which is weird, because again, it doesn't really have like a globe, a, a, a national breakcore scene or anything. You've just got like people dotted around. I mean, obviously, most obviously, Passenger of Shit. I don't know, have you heard of Passenger of Shit? He's a genius, man. Passenger shit. Right, good, good, good. You know, and in the 90s, you had people like Nasenbluten doing speedcore with Amigas, you know, and and it was all just so tongue-in-cheek and silly, and ah, I really like that. I really respect that. Some people take things a bit too seriously, and that's something I've noticed more and more recently with breakcore, is people getting serious about what that word means and kind of making subdivisions of genres. It's like... It's just fucking breakcore. Like you don't need it to be like neurofunk bastard step quasi bore or whatever. It, it doesn't need a name. Do you know what I mean? It's breakcore. We don't need to cut it down any finer than that. There's a very simple differentiation I think with breakcore, right? If you're in a regular club and you're DJing and you play it and you'll get kicked out of the club by the bouncers even though you've been paid to play, then it's breakcore, right? Yeah. <laughs> If, if the promoter's like, turn that shit off or we're never booking you again, that's breakcore. Yeah, yeah. People are leaving, people are leaving, and the venue's going to kick us out. Turn it off. If it's, if it's an artist playing to themselves by the end of the night, it's breakcore. <laughs> So a bit of acidy things going on there, man. Titanium steel people of tomorrow. Yeah, um, I don't remember where I found this track. I think it was on some random vinyl of um, early '90s acid stuff, and this track stood out to me because most most of it was just obvious, clean 909 and 808 drum machines with a 303 and maybe some vocal samples and you know, and this this was just heavy. In, in a way that I didn't think people were doing back in 92, 93. I think this track is 1993. It's heavy and it's got the exact right kind of repetitiveness. You know, like repetitive can be boring, but then you can have subtle kind of changes. I mean, it's the exact same acid line throughout the entire song. But I don't feel like I'm listening to the same thing over and over again for five minutes. I, I feel like there's enough variation and like modulation in it. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't believe how old this track was. Yeah. There is some really good hard acid techno from the 90s. Lots of it out there, but it's just hidden away in obscurity. And it, it's probably the hardest genres to dig for. Right. Um, I've got one tune, uh, and it's just got the lyric, Populator, Populator, Populator. <laughs> for 25 years I've been looking for it, and I've never found it. Oh, really? Yeah, never found it. And it's just like, but it's a beautiful track. And it's just like, uh, one day I'm gonna, I'm gonna strike gold and find out what it is. For sure. Yeah. I've no idea. And like that, it's, it's one of these sort of tunes, you know, that probably came out of Germany or something, I would guess. This is a German track as well, yeah. And it's, there's there's no sign of what they've done since Titanium Steel. And Titanium Steel was only three EPs, I think. There's a charity shop somewhere in Berlin, and you're going to go in there, and there's going to be a whole crate of gold <laughs> <laughs> for a, a euro piece, you know? Right, right, exactly. Well, hopefully next time I go, I will stumble across it. Every time I go to Berlin, actually, I stumble across something cool that I want to buy. But I very rarely have luggage space to bring anything back. So let's talk about gigs then, man. I mean, obviously, we've got the old coronavirus, so you've been a bit quiet. Uh, what sort of place have you been to? Where have you been to in the world that's exciting or interesting? Uh, Russia's always fun, although it's hard to get there as a, as a UK resident. The visa process is horrific. You have to go to London, apply in person. If you get turned down, you have to wait a week, drive back to London, apply in person again. It's ridiculous. And they want, they want you to have £100 for every day you stay in Russia. You can't spend £100 in a month there. It's so cheap. 
Yeah, it's, it's the visa process is horrible, but actually being there is is wonderful. The rave scene there is really good. But uh, last time I played in Russia, we played inside an old nuclear silo just outside Moscow. That was fun. And then we played on top of a cliff in the middle of nowhere in central Russia. That was a lot of fun too. Um, I really like going to Canada recently, Canada and North America, because it, it's a really small scene and it's kind of new to them. So it's like everyone's super excited. I mean, the first time I played in Canada, two people took a bus from New Mexico just to come wow. to the show. That's dedication. Looking insane. That's like two days or something, isn't it? It's 48 hours, yeah. Yeah, piss take, but I wouldn't have done it, but I'm glad they did. <laughs> and, then, and there's you accidentally wandering into a Venetian SNES gig. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, chaos theory, man. If I had never got off the dropship. But um, yeah, sorry, spaced reference. Um, yeah. <laughs> spaced, classic, classic TV show, man. It was good stuff. So good. Uh, so good. I always love that scene where, the wheels. Wheels. Oi, oi! And he's off his nut. And everything, and everything <laughs> just like TikTok and all that sort of stuff is like having it, you know? <laughs> the kettle yeah, and the traffic yeah. lights. <laughs> so, oh yeah, having it, having it. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Akira Death Reverse. Yeah. So this was one of the bands I heard when I kind of started Gorshit in 2005 or 2006 or whatever. This was one of the first kind of speedcore groups I got really into. You know, I mean, there was MIDI as well. MIDI, King of Speedcore, obviously. But Akira Death, I don't know, I always... I always like that the vocals are a big part of it because that's something that's always missing in electronic music. It's just it's just punk speedcore, pretty much, and I really like that. Again, it kind of uh, harkens back to the industrial music that got me into this kind of thing, you know, like Ministry and stuff like that. To me, it sounds like a really heavy version of Ministry or Skinny Puppy or something like that. You know, what industrial music could have been if it had kind of carried on. Yeah, I feel like they would have ended up here. So your Patreon page says Gorshit is creating the musical equivalent of garbage. <laughs> I try my best. <laughs> Some people think I have a, a kind of false shroud of, um, of, of humbleness. But I, like I said earlier, I'm just so scared of this idea of ego that I, I have to put myself down to feel okay about the fact that I'm even subjecting my music to people or subjecting people to my music rather. It was it was all encouragement by other people that made me give gorshit to the quote unquote public. You know, like I didn't do any gigs for years until um, annoying ringtone until he basically booked me a bunch of shows in Europe and said, you're doing them. And I was like, ah, I kind of don't want to leave my house. <laughs> but he dragged me out into the world and I'm glad he did. And when you're playing your gigs, you're playing off a live setup with NPCs and buttons and flashy lights, right? Yeah, I um, I swap my controllers around when I get bored, but at the minute I'm using the APC40 MPD24. So they're like the really old archive controllers because I found that the new ones break really quickly like I was using the modern versions of, of what I'm using but like one drop of sweat in them and the whole circuit board would just fry and I'm a big fat piece of shit so I sweat a lot on stage but so yeah I'm using these ancient controllers and the downside is that they fill up my suitcase so if I if I go to Canada or wherever I have to pretty much, <laughs> you know, pack everything as tight as possible and take as few clothes as possible just so I can fit my controllers in there. But um, yeah, I really like them. Have you ever thought about going down the route of getting a custom controller made? Oh, I did start building one myself. Yeah, I would have thought so, yeah. Which is something I will continue with at some point. 
it's just one of those things I, I, I do it with a lot of things I start building arcade machines and little computers and all kinds of shit and, and then I I get to a point and I say okay I'm taking a break and then I don't go back to it <laughs> but um, I, yeah I'm sure one day I will have an idea as to what my perfect MIDI controller is and then finish it uh, talking about this track then OLD or old yeah Again, really uh, underrated, unknown band. Um, they they were on Earache Records in the late eighties. Oh wow! Yeah, the first album is just like a straight up grindcore album, but it was like a parody of grindcore because OLD did on the first record stand for old lady drivers, so, <laughs> and the album covers like this zombie old lady driving an old Volkswagen Beetle or some shit. But um, yeah, that came out like nineteen eighty eight, so it was like right at the time where everyone was getting well on the grindcore thing. And then they just went nuts and bought loads of synthesizers and vocal processors and drum machines and shit like that. And you ended up with this stuff. And because they had a contract with Airache, this stuff was coming out on Airache Records and everyone fucking hated it. <laughs> and um, the, the album they did after this one, which was the last album, is basically techno music, but with you know guitars and vocals and stuff like that. And it was on Airache Records, and it is to date the worst-selling Airache record ever. <laughs> but it is the best one. It is the best record on Airache, and it is the worst-selling one. Oh man, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're all about artistic integrity, right? To the core, and you'd respect that in others and see it. Right, exactly. It's not mainstream. Well, I mean, say, well, Airache's far from mainstream, but even then within a genre they're like we know what we're listening to we're listening to napalm death and stuff like that sure this is this isn't napalm death what are you doing to me i don't know this mix of electronic and and metal is is because like you said earlier the mix of electronic and metal can be so cliche and i feel like old kind of had this weird this weird kind of area they were doing that wasn't it missed all those cliches there's no chuggy guitars there's you know it's got the it's got the kind of screamy vocals but they're all like processed and weird yeah i love that so i'm making my listeners wait for a decent amen here we go now with misery cuts knir 99 yeah nice, nice bit of almost 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 tickling the fantasy of the junglists out there <laughs> it's it's um yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, this is another of those tracks that's got those kind of reggae trappings that I still love, uh, despite the fact I don't like reggae. I love this track. I played a gig with this guy, and I'd never heard him before, and he played a song called Beast Forth Separated, that was it. And it was just, it was like 100 BPM, and it's hard to explain the, the, the song. The, the, it was so brutal on the sound system and I was instantly hooked on it. And unfortunately, he's only got the one EP out, which is this one. And it's all amazing. It's just it's just wonky enough to be different. The production value is like, it's, it, you can hear what's going on, but it's distorted as fuck, and I like that. I don't like when things are overly clean for the sake of being overly clean. It's just not for me. Yeah, the, the use of the brakes in this one, it's like, it's, I'm struggling to hear more than one section of music that that stays in the same kind of time signature you know it's like it just stops and starts at random times seemingly and i really like it and then i talked to him about how he made it and he's using like ableton 4 or something like that from what was that 2002 i can't remember which version exactly he said but it's some ancient version and he's not using any plugins it's like it's just raw without trying to sound pretentious you know it's like yeah, it's just really like really like misery cuts. Yeah, I'm really enjoying like everything you've picked out here uh, and your reasoning behind it. Because what I've been doing with the show for ever since I started it is always just following originality, something that's new and interesting. Um, it's, there's so much out there, you know. Like you were talking earlier about drum and bass being at Formula A. You know, yeah, that is just like boom tick, boom tick, boom tick. When I hear that, I'm like, forget it. I'm not listening mm -hmm. beyond one bar of that. You know, right? Two formula. And this again, all the stuff you picked out and why I really enjoyed it is, it's very left field. And you say, you know, you picked out stuff that no one else has picked out, and it's all, yeah, got a good story behind it, like you know. It's it's engaging. It like keeps you on your toes. Like, if you've never heard a song before and you play it and you know what the next chord is going to be and you know what the next drum hit is going to be and you know when the breakdown is going to be and blah 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 I, j I just can't get on with that it's like there's enough stuff i know i want to hear something i don't know but do you not think though that with certain things 
that you need a certain pattern to it that when it does have a change you anticipate the change like oh you know we've got to 16 bars now something's going to happen you don't know what's necessarily going to happen but you know that something is going to happen right if it was too if it was too if it was too random then it would just be a collection of random noises Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I just like collections of random noises, you know. I mean, I, I could listen to someone sanding metal all day. You know, it's, um, I don't know. There's, there's certain... When I listen to music, I'm usually more hearing, I don't know, certain... Oh, I'm try, it sounds so pretentious, but like certain feelings to it and atmospheres rather than the actual kind of song. Like, I don't know, textures. We're towards the end of the podcast, right? We've only got the last five minutes, so be as pretentious as you want because anyone that's made it this far in the podcast, <laughs> they're, already, they're, they're, they're already sold, so say what you like. They're already in. <laughs> I, I, I used to be so scared of pretense, but you know what? You can't avoid it. Like, if you're going to listen to art of any or, or observe art of any kind, it, you, you're going to have to be pretentious, you know, in some way or another. Just so I don't worry about it anymore. You know, <laughs> but there are levels. There are levels. I noticed actually, and I missed this until I heard it just now, but that track sampled "Incredible" by Envy and General Levy. Oh, so I didn't know where the sample was from. Yeah, if I'd have, if I'd have realised, that's the band record on my show. <laughs> oh. Well, it's a sample of it, so I'll let it slide. All right, I'll let it slide. Yeah, and like I said, it's like that kind of reggae thing that I'd usually hate, but in there, it was like all fucked up and weird, and I liked it, you know? Yeah, all right, cool, man. We're on to the last track we're saving. Well, saving what could be the best till last, right? Fat From Us, Born, Live, Fuck, Die. Suck Puck Records, Fat From Us. I mean, we could talk all day, right? Oh, I good boys good boys yeah suck fuck's ace i mean i i'm not like a label guy but suck fuck and uh, another record uh, label i use called kitty on fire records are the only two that i i bother with and it's mostly because they're my friends not because i'm looking for a label you know what i mean um so yeah suck fuck are fucking great like i'm not interested in labels but i will do stuff with them anytime i love that simplicity that little bit <laughs> Yeah. Well, the reason I chose this song is because, to me, I, I also like the fact that you put it last. I didn't know where you put it, but I like the fact you put it last because, to me, it encapsulates everything that is good about breakcore. It like this. This is breakcore personified. It's like it's. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's scatty as fuck. It's got like old rave stuff in it. It's got samples from comedy things. Uh, it's got like vocal bits that are made up of like eight different people speaking, but to make one sentence, and like weird typical electronic sounds and stuff. It's all put together in this package that just says breakcore to me. This was the first track from a song I ever heard when I played a show with him in Bristol. It's still my favorite. I don't know if it was because it was the first or just because I really like this track, but it's, it's my favorite. But it is like, a, to me, it's a perfect breakcore track. It's got everything that I would need from breakcore. Well, one of the things I love about breakcore is when you say, you know, they, they put so much work into what you hear as a, a three second piece but you know, it's, t- it's taken them a day to put it together. It's at least 20 hours of work right. to do three seconds. And you're like, you mad fucker. <laughs> exactly. So good. For, for little conventional returns as well. You know, no one's getting any money. No one's getting any like groupies or anything. You know, it's may- maybe like dirty work groupies, but like, <laughs> you know, it's there's no real returns for breakcore and, and people are still like fanatic about it. and. And the people that make it do it for so long. I mean, I've been doing Gorship for 15 years. Backformus has been going for 11 years or 12 years. It's like people just carry on despite the fact we're like making barely enough to eat sometimes, you know. That brings us to the end. This is the end, my friend. All right, gold shit, man. We've come to the end of the show. Thank you very much for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and listening to all this music, man. Pleasure is mine. Pleasure is mine. Awesome. Well, hopefully we'll see you there someday at some gig soon in the future. I'm sure you will. Once the once the plague is gone. Once the plague is gone. Cheers, man. 
Bye-bye. Thanks, man. Take it easy. Bye now. All right, wicked. 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 Wicked.